A Look Within podcast is brought to you by the South Carolina Department of Mental Health, a healthcare organization providing innovative mental health and wellness services across all of South Carolina. Learn more about our services and resources at www.scdmh.net. In this episode, we discuss ways we might improve our mental health and well-being with the leading therapist and director of behavioral health at Colleton Medical Center, Melissa Camp. Ms. Camp is a leading voice in mental health in the state of South Carolina, having collaborated with local and statewide community systems in a number of high-profile roles, to include serving as the head of emergency mental health services and tri-county crisis stabilization for the South Carolina Department of Mental Health. She's also a talented mental health educator and trainer with numerous areas of expertise to include working with first responders, mental health crisis care, and mental health and wellness initiatives. What follows is our conversation on taking steps towards wellness for ourselves and exploring ways we might foster resilience and hope in our lives. So let's talk about, I want to talk about just sort of this aspect of, you know, the physical, the emotional, all the social impacts of dealing with just hard times or changing times, transition times, and certainly the pandemic or us just coming out of the pandemic is is a great example of how, you know, dealing with that. I guess, where did, where did, might you tell somebody to start if they're feeling overwhelmed or discouraged and in, in, in during a specific period of time? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, especially the past few years have been really stressful for a lot of people, but life is stressful in general, and it can be overwhelming to try to grapple with all of that and figure things out. And, and so I think one exercise that I learned a few years ago that really helped me is something that I think would be really cool for us to do here together and for anybody listening to be able to do as well. Um, to just really figure out where your starting point is, right? Because for everybody, this is going to look different for yeah. you, right? So sure. um, so the first thing I want you to do is, uh, I don't know if you have a piece of paper or something and a pen, but I want you to think about when you are at your absolute best. So maybe a time in your life when you were at your absolute best, it might've been a long time ago. It might've been more recently, Um or maybe it's just a view of what you wish you were, what that looked like to come up with three terms or three words that traits that you would use to describe yourself when you're at your best. When you're at your best. Okay. So three. Um, And write those down. Right. Okay. And then. Any chance I can get you to share yours? I'll share <laughs> uh, mine. Sure, sure. I guess so. When I'm at my best, I'd say I wrote down energized, uh, creative, and connected. Excellent. <clears throat> That's awesome. For me, when I did this, uh, it was active, positive, and full of passion. That's more than one word, but it's a it's a trait. Full of passion, <laughs> like passionate about what I'm doing. Sure. Um, yeah. So then now think about for yourself right now, as you sit here, what on a scale of zero to five, where would you rate each of those traits in your life now? So zero meaning not at all. This trait doesn't fit what I'm like right now at all. And five being absolutely every day. I'm completely feeling that right now. 
God. And, and it may be different for each of those three traits, right? Yeah. Well, for me, I think at this point in time, I would say it's probably three across the board for energy, creativity, and connectedness. And maybe um, I just finished up a big project. So uh, I tend to, once I've kind of finished a big event type of a thing, you know, uh, sort of that kind of, that decreases a bit, you know, the energy kind of dies down. I'm sort of waning on the creativity piece and maybe I feel a little bit isolated and not as connected with, with people and with like a sense of purpose. So I'd say I'm sort of in the middle of the road right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point too, right? So sometimes these things can, are going to naturally come and go depending on what's going on in life and what kinds of events like that are going on or bigger projects. And, um, and that piece is natural. And I think sometimes though, people will look at this for myself. It was, uh, I'll pick active. For example, I found that I was like, wow, it's been a long time since I would, what was living life in a way that I would call active. You know, I was going to work, I was doing the family thing, all of that stuff, but but being more active uh, was something that I always enjoyed. That was always another part of me that I was leaving out. Um, and so a part of this exercise then is starting to figure out like what we think some of the barriers are that are getting in the way of us living into those traits and leaning into those traits. Um, what gets in the way on the day to day? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because I know for me and other, other people mentioned this, you know, fear is kind of a big one, like a a barrier, I think, Um, you know, I don't know, fear of um, whether it's fear of failure, fear of, uh, of something new, you know, again, so in times when things, when your kind of routine has been rocked, like with the pandemic, you know, that kind of stuff I can feel come up with me. Um, Lethargy. So is a big one with me. So, uh, you know, I mean, do I want to just numb out and watch some TV or do I, you know, whatever it may be that um, is a way of me kind of shutting down a little bit. And sometimes that can get to be too much. And then a big thing for me, and I don't know your thoughts on this, but is it's just kind of past patterns. You know, I mean, there's patterns I've had since a child that I've recognized and it's taken me a while to kind of learn them. You know, and I can kind of see when I go into those patterns and kind of go down the rabbit hole, so to speak. And uh, so those are kind of things that can be big barriers, at least for me with this exercise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, when I've done this exercise with other people, those are common things that come up in the discussion and time being a huge one time and family. And, you know, I think we're. I'm a huge believer that everybody is doing the best that they can with what they've got. And, but we also get stuck in this thing I do for sure of thinking, Oh, there's just no way I have time for that. You know, there's no way I can fit that into my day. I want to be the best I can be in my career. I want to be the best I can be for my family. And yeah, yeah, if I don't have time to be active or to be involved in things, uh, then that's, that's going to be all right. You know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but like you mentioned, there's times where <clears throat> we find like, you know, sometimes I, w- I would find that I was coming home from work and I was just kind of numbing out in front of the TV or whatever, thinking, oh, I work really hard all day long, which is true. I deserve to just kind of sit and zone out a bit. But then it gets to a point where you don't feel like that's re-energizing, right? And where that's not 
And then you're, so that's time wasted that yes, doing a little bit of that is good, but too much of that is time wasted that you could be using on yourself in other ways. Um, So I think, I think that that's a, a piece of the puzzle is just those barriers that whether they're real or perceived that get in the way of us living into these. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. And just when you were saying something about time, you know, um, I've noticed a big thing for me, I'm interested to hear your perspective on this is the issue of kind of like permission, you know, um, and sometimes when somebody objectively will, will tell me something like, oh, well, why don't you make time for that? Like I personally am in a frame of reference, a mindset, I guess, you know, um, you know, I'm feeling down or whatever, or I'm feeling stuck. And I can't get out of it. And then somebody could just, you know, say something almost the same way that I may have tried to say in my own head. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I've got like this permission to kind of look at it in a different way. So that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. um, Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, like we were saying in the outset, like life is, life is hard sometimes. And sometimes it's harder than others. And right now, you know, working in any job or career field is, has been a little bit harder than ever before, you know, in these past few years. And um, people we're encountering around us are more anxious and stressed out. We're more anxious and stressed out. Um, Friends and family are are sicker than usual or, or more um, have more on their plates that they're trying to address. And, and we keep hearing this thing of people losing their losing sight of their passion. I hear it over and over again in in all kinds of different career fields. So, um, you know, I'm married to a school teacher and at their school, they went through this thing last year where it's a small school and they lost like nine of their full-time teachers, but it was all for different reasons. It wasn't because they were mad about the school. It was like, oh, well, this has made me think I want to live closer to my family, or mm-hmm. maybe I want a different career field. Or um, I know a doctor who left the work that he's been doing for years because he said, I just can't find the passion for that work anymore. Oh, right, right. Um, and we hear about this thing they talk about on the news, the great resignation, right? Um, yeah. A lot of people are leaving their their jobs. And, and I, you know, honestly, I would... I would be lying if I said that I hadn't run across some of that myself where, you know, you feel this place where you just feel stuck and you, and you feel like, how do I, how do I get back that passion? And I think most people go into their career field because of some sort of passion or higher calling, right? So whether you're a police officer or teacher or work in a hospital or whatever your job is, you know, most people go into it for a reason and they want to be a part of something bigger. And, but this ongoing stress and uh, fatigue, it can lead to burnout. It can lead to a lot of issues. And so a lot of what we're talking about here, you know, people see, you know, they're reporting common symptoms are things like insomnia, uh, social withdrawal or isolation where like we were talking about, you kind of like end up just not going and doing things with people, but going home and just vegging out a bit because you're tired and burnt out. Um, More anxiety, depression, 
Um, this is the place where things like addiction are born. Um, and even, and, you know, we hear from people all the time, it kind of sneaks up on them. It might start out as who I've had a stressful day at work. Let me have a glass of wine, you know, <laughs> and it graduates right. into this thing that gets a little out of control. Right, um, right. People reporting problems with concentration, poor self-care, and then physical problems too. So digestive issues and more aches and pains and all of that kind of stuff. And I think we don't always realize that all of that is this, this longer prolonged stress has that effect on our bodies and our minds and can really have some, some pretty profound effects in the day-to-day life. Yeah. Interesting. And so if some, if we're in that sort of space, Melissa, and you, you brought this exercise, is this sort of a, um, a great way to sort of reframe or, or, or regroup? Uh, and, and then kind of, where do you take it from there? Like, what can you do with these three things that I know that are key to me being at my best? Um, I mean, what, what would be sort of like a next step on that? Yeah. So I think that, I think one recognizing that, things are hard for, for a lot of people right now. And so you're not alone with that. Um, and, and this, this exercise offers us a really kind of simplified way to start to look at specific to ourselves, what's important to us. What do we look like when we're at our best and, and where do we, where do we go from here? And, you know, one of my, one of my favorite, uh, people in this world is a social worker, the famous social worker named Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's really cool. One of my favorite quotes from her is uh, we need hope like we need air. Um, And then I also, you know, sometimes that's that's so true. Like that hope we need to just is all is what we need to just put one foot in front of the other each day and to be able to, to function from day to day. But she also says another quote from her is hope is a function of struggle. We develop hope, not during the easy and comfortable times, but through adversity and discomfort. And so I think about when we're in this place, when we're feeling low like that, that's the, the prime time to develop hope. If that, you know, if what she says is true and I think hope is a piece of it, but resilience is the other piece and learning to develop resilience. And so resilience being that ability to um, adapt to these stressors and some people come into adulthood with more resilience than others, just by nature of what they've been through in life. Um, And so when times get hard, they, persevere a little more easily. Um, but I think the good thing to know is that resilience is a skill that can be built. Um, and so just because you didn't have a hard childhood or <laughs> upbringing doesn't mean yeah. that, um, that you're out of luck, but resilience, resilience is something we can learn and something that helps create that protective barrier for us against burnout and, uh, compassion fatigue and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so it's a really good skill to learn. And Um, so what would be, you know, I know you do uh, a lot of work on, um, you'll, you'll teach on self-care and work-life balance and all of that is, is a resilience teaching skills on resilience, a part of that. And what does it look like? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing I can recommend the starting place is giving ourselves a little bit of grace, 
I think that's been my motto for the past couple of years is to give ourselves, give myself a little bit of grace and realizing what we're each doing that helps to build hope and resilience and what kind of can get in the way and, and we can work on getting back to those traits on that piece of paper. So the number one thing, all the research that you look at, the thing that comes up over and over again is support system, building a support system and being intentional about that. So make space for developing that at home, at work, you know, most often the thing that when we're busy, the thing that gets crossed off the to-do list, canceled, whatever, is that time with friends and family or, you know, with, with those support people and developing that support, you think, oh, I'm too busy. I can't go meet, you know, this friend at the park, or I can't go do this. I've got to do, you know, 75 other things. And, and that's, right, the, right. but that's the key, most important piece to building that hope and resilience is to have that positive, healthy support system. And keeping in mind that that may Maybe that you look at who your support system is now and you say, okay, would if I were to start living into these three traits that I wrote on that piece of paper, are these people that would be supportive of that? You know, and if not, maybe you need to have a conversation with them. Maybe you need to work to develop other supports that will support you being at your best. Um, but also just prioritizing that stuff and taking advantage of things within your, uh, there are a lot of services and resources through employers, through churches, community groups, that kind of stuff um, that are built to help you develop support and build up a support system. Um, and that can, I mean, that across the board in so many ways is such an important aspect of all of this is having that. The South Carolina Department of Mental Health is celebrating its 200-year anniversary, offering mental health services for children, families, and adults. SCDMH is one of the first states in the country to provide mental health services. Learn more at www.scdmh.net. What does it look like, or maybe what it look like for you in terms of getting it started? It's kind of like that, hey, I'm going to the gym kind of thing in the new year. And then, um, or if some, you know, you want to do a hobby, but maybe you're just not, you're in a place where you're just in this funk and you're not going to give yourself permission to do that. Or you think, oh, this is stupid or, or, you know, this is going to take too long to figure out all that kind of stuff, all that negative self-talk. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll tell you that I'm definitely, uh, that it's like you were just reading from my journal or something that that's, (laughs) that's the stuff. Um, and that's the, and that's the thing to remember that everybody, you know, when you look at marathon runners, they didn't start running a marathon. They started with walking. Um, you know, my brother is a great example. I admire him for so many things and he is a marathon runner and, um, but he started with, he got this new dog who had a lot of energy. And when he would come home, he would go walk Chuck and he'd walk him further and further. And then he started thinking, huh, I bet I could jog with him a little bit. And he'd like that, you know, it actually started out as a thing for the dog. Wow. And he <laughs> gradually said, you know what? I think I could learn more about this. Let me see if I can 
figure out how to get involved with a running coach or a running group. And, um, and so here we are a few years down the line and he runs marathons. We just were out in Montana recently and, um, he, I ran the half, he ran the whole, but, um, you know, realizing people start there realizing too, like with meditation and mindfulness stuff, you know, these monks and that, that, you know, can go all day long, you know, this long period of time meditating or not speaking to anybody, they probably started with like 30 seconds, <laughs> um, you know? And so just, again, give yourself a little grace and just set goals. I always say, you know, I'll, I'll set my goals low so that I can definitely achieve them. Um, yeah. And sometimes for me, one of my hobbies that I wanted to start was photography. And that was something that I would get overwhelmed like that about because there's so much to photography and I'm not going to do this well. And what if I blow money on it and I can't. So my goal was to take one step towards photography. Now, once I took one step, I took a lot more steps towards it. But, you know, at first it was just take a step, whatever that step looks like, sign up for a class or get a camera or because that's the sad part about (laughs) I was that caved in by that overwhelming feeling that I didn't even have a camera, Um, but I had a big interest in it and just find out what that one step is to move you towards that. Well, so yeah, I love the exercise in terms of those, those traits. It's sort of like, um, it's almost like a compass that can kind of help orient you in, in, in new ways and then taking some steps for yourself and you describing that, but let's talk about, um, individuals or families um or maybe there's more things going on that are barriers you know when we talk about anxiety and depression and uh and suicide and and those very real things um that seem to be even more and more of a problem these days um any any thoughts on on that piece of it yeah absolutely so while some of this stuff we've been talking about definitely works to help build in some more value to life and that there's the very real thing that there are a lot of people out there who are struggling more than that and really need more than that. So I'm always a huge, and it's not just because I'm a therapist that I'm a huge supporter of people getting therapy, but probably that helps. Um, (laughs) I think, you know, anybody who feels like, Hey, I wonder if I should get a therapist. I say, try it you know, and, and keep, keep in mind the fact that not every therapist is meant for every person and not every person for every therapist. And that's okay. That as therapists, we understand that we know that. So you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. If you go see somebody, you feel like this isn't a good fit, try somebody new. Um, until you find somebody that that's that good fit. I think that fits into that piece where we talk about, um, support being the number one way to build hope and resilience. That's not just support with friends and family. That's also a therapist is a great kind of support. Um, so having somebody outside of your friends and family, somebody that you don't sit across the dinner table from that you can talk through your just genuine feelings of what's going on that can help guide you and give you some coping skills. Um, I think you're right. Some people need more than just refocusing, right? You mentioned suicide. Suicide's the 10th leading cause of death. Um, overall. And the third leading cause of death among people, 15 to 24, every time I, yeah, 15 to 24, sorry, all of a sudden, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, I, every time I think about that statistic though, I'm just pretty amazed because it's, 
you think of all these other things that have walks and you know uh, fundraisers and all this kind of stuff. Um, that's that's a pretty profound thing for suicide to be that high on the list. So it's a very yeah. real thing that we have to take seriously and be on the lookout for. Yeah, and so you know, I know I know a few instances where there's been uh, parents and they've had a, a teenage son or, or daughter and and. Um, you know, that maybe they're going through some challenging times as they're coming to learn more about themselves and going through adolescence. And, you know, then they start verbalizing things like, you know, uh, you know, I just, I, I hate my life or I wish I never existed. Well, you know, they have things that's starting to kind of touch on that, or maybe they're even straight up saying, you know, I wish I were dead or something to that effect. And then, you know, I've got these parents who, um, uh, clearly the, the lack of control around that is so frightening. And, and what do you do? Um, and so are there some things that they could, in terms of queries to the child, um, you know, when, when that happens, uh, obviously there's contacting to get help, but are, there's some things that can be done, you know, like assess, assessing the level, do they have a plan or I, I don't know what kind of help to give parents at a basic level, but I'd be interested to hear what you, what you think of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think an important piece to remember is why that population is so high risk, all the reasons you just said, and their brains are not fully developed yet, right? So that part of the brain that looks at long-term consequences is not fully developed. And so they are more prone to impulsive decisions, right? Yeah, so a piece right. of this is, I say to anybody, if you are worried about somebody else and you genuine, your gut says that you think there's something going on with them and they might be suicidal, ask the question, ask the question, ask the question, ask the question. If you're wrong, the worst that can happen the is they're going to tease you or they're going to be like, oh, seriously, no, that's not going on. Right. Right. That's fine. If your gut says that and you don't ask the question, their odds are be are really high that you're going to regret that decision more so than than if you just ask the question. If you're wrong, you're wrong. I think a lot of times people are scared to just talk plain language and openly about suicide and and those kinds yeah. of thoughts because they're worried they're going to put that in somebody else's head. Hmm. And the reality is, if they're not already thinking it, you're not putting it that thought in their head by asking them. You're showing care and concern. And a lot of times, people who are struggling with those kind of thoughts about suicide, they're they're usually really hoping that somebody does ask. They're hoping that somebody hmm. cares enough to notice that they're going through something. Um, and so offering to be that support for them, uh, especially that under 24 crowd, um, you know, anybody in general, but especially under 24 years old, uh, if they are saying, yeah, I'm having suicidal thoughts, I really recommend you go for professional help. You go and, and get them there as sooner rather than later, connect them with the right people. And um, because again, that impulsivity is so strong. Um, when we get above that age, a little more, you can get into kind of have they had a plan? Have they had, do they have the means or intent for doing something to harm themselves or kill okay. themselves? Um, and being able at all ages, being able to reduce that lethality. So we talk about guns are very uh, quick and instantaneous. So if you're already mm -hmm. impulsive and you, you know, have easy access to a gun, then that can really be uh, a bad combination. So what we, we talk all the time with families about, is there a way to put 
the guns, you know, the guns in another household or in a safe that is protected with a, a keypad that, you know, only the parent has or only the person you're not concerned about, uh, you know, the people uh, have it other than the person you're concerned about. Um, being able to pay attention to are there medications in the house that could be dangerous? How can you lock those up somewhere? Um, and, you know, just reduce, put anything that's a barrier in between them being able to impulsively, instantaneously make that decision. But professional help is really connecting with the resources for that and getting that person some additional support um, that may look like inpatient care, that may be outpatient care. Um, being able to go to somebody who can assess that is is really the, the best option at that point. Okay, gotcha. And then, you know, I mentioned, you know, depression, um, anxiety, you know, all things that I've noticed have been seem to have increased, certainly during the, these pandemic years for a number of the reasons and things that we discussed. But I guess, you know, what, what does that look like if somebody sort of has somebody that they're concerned about or personally? Um, what are some signs and symptoms that maybe this just isn't just that I'm in a funk? but uh, that it's, it's become more than that. I think some of the biggest things you look for are um, people who are withdrawing from maybe they're isolating themselves, especially if it's somebody who previously was very social and suddenly yeah. they're not, and they're saying no to going and doing things. Um, I think increased alcohol and drug use, dramatic changes in appearance, so if somebody was very neat freak kind of clean and um, put together person and all of a sudden you're seeing them and they're just really disheveled and they're not, you know, taking care of their hygiene and they're wearing the same clothes they were wearing for the past three days, you know, paying attention right. to that kind of stuff. And, um, and, you know, that doesn't mean that everybody who's messy is depressed, um, but those changes in their character, those changes in how they're presenting themselves, withdrawing from doing things with others, but even just basic things that you would think about, like talking about being a burden to other people, or you find that, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll come across parents who learn that their child was suicidal by finding that they were researching things online about ways to kill themselves. Um, Right. You can Google search everything. That's the world that our kids live in. Right. Yeah. And so that's a real way of, you know, that some people are discovering these things. And I think that we always think about people, you know, that depressed person that is crying uncontrollably. And, but, and sometimes it looks like that, but sometimes it looks more like just withdrawing or anger agitation, those sorts of things, something, a change in their character and how they're presenting themselves. When talking about uh, suicide and talking about depression, anxiety, say that somebody um, has verbalized um, suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts, or they've um, taken steps to sort of act on that. Uh, what should a loved one do? What, what could they do as a sort of next steps? Where's the help? So I um, would strongly encourage getting help sooner rather than later. Um, and so some of the ways that what that might look like is um, we've got the National Suicide Hotline, the 988 number um, that's just come out. That's a way, a really fast, easy way to connect with care. 
um, or with somebody who can help you figure out what the next steps are. Uh, here in South Carolina, we're really lucky to have uh, the mobile crisis teams that are run yeah. through the South Carolina Department of Mental Health and our 24 seven uh, programs to really help people figure out what do you do next? What's the level of care that you need to connect with? And how do you, how do you, we keep our, our folks safe that we're worried about? But then if all else fails, just go to the local emergency department. If you're genuinely concerned about yourself or somebody else, as far as this is concerned, go to the local emergency department at, at your closest hospital and let them know what's going on so that they can help you connect with that. It's, it's so important to get support. There's no reason anybody has to suffer this stuff alone and has to go through that alone. And so support again, will look, it's a key piece of this and it'll look different in different situations for everybody. And, um, but there's a lot of people in our communities ready to help. You just have to reach out and let them know and, and connect with them. Um, I think that's just so important. You know, all of this that we've talked about in terms of self-care, dealing with these big transition, changing times. Are there any other things that you'd like to just share as we close things out? I think my hope is just that walking away from this today, my hope is that everyone has a better idea of just what you look like at your best and what are what's a first step that you can take to start moving in that direction. And if you feel like you're already there, so some people may have done that initial exercise and put all fives. They feel like they're 100% their best. Uh, that's great. That's awesome. So then I encourage those people to look around them at other people that are in their lives that maybe are not at their best and figuring out how you can help them along, how you can guide them in the right direction and give them the support, be that support person for them to get better. And I think it's just important that we make sure that we are healthy first. Our, our tendency is to want to just help those around us, but to really make sure that we are healthy ourselves and take good care of ourselves so that we can be better support for each other as well. I'm David Diana, host and producer of A Look Within, conversations on mental health and well-being. We want to thank Melissa Camp for joining us today. You may learn more about her work at melissacamplpc.com. And of course, we want to thank all of you for listening and hope you'll join us next time. A Look Within Conversations on Mental Health and Wellbeing podcast is hosted and produced by David Diana and the South Carolina Department of Mental Health. We hope you'll join us for our next conversation.